0: Good morning it's good to be with you this morning you got your bibles we're going to be in the book of matthew in just a moment matthew chapter 19 we're delighted to have each of you with us today as i rode in this morning the dark clouds kind of moved away and we got the bright sun outside and that's kind of like life sometimes sometimes you wake up in the morning and it seems like life sends you a lot of clouds a lot of darkness and you sometimes wonder about things but then you Get that Bible open, you go to your knees in prayer, you come to the house of God, and it seems like things clear up, and you see things so much better. Before we get going this morning, on the front page of our bulletin, I want you to take notice that Jason has now recorded our 200th video on building blocks. Two things about that. That that has been his project from day one. What an accomplishment that is. We are so blessed to have him with us and do these things. But the second great blessing is all of these videos are on our website. And so I've got this guy at work, and he doesn't know if there's a God or there's an alien. Hey, let's watch some videos. Go to the website. There it is. I got a friend who's all messed up about greats. Let's go pull that one out. So it's like a whole bunch of library books that you have right on our website. Let's be using that. It's a powerful tool to have. Now, if you turn your bulletin to the inside, we're going to start talking about some things this morning. Alistair Begg is a Scottish preacher. He now lives in Cleveland, Ohio. He is well known for his writings and well known for his podcasts. And I like him because of his accent, that Scottish accent. He tells a story of going to California on vacation. And usually when we preachers go on vacation, it's so odd for us. Because we're always used to being behind the scenes and all the stuff we have to do. And he was just sitting in the audience like other people. He said it was a massive church. screens everywhere. Big clock started at five minutes. 458, 457. Counted all the way down to zero. As soon as it hit zero, the music blasted, he said. He thought he was at the Tonight Show because it was so much. And then the preacher got up. And Beg says these are the very first words that the preacher said. He said real loud, "Hey, how do you feel?" And Beg says, "Well, after a while, I just saw I don't feel so good." He says, "Early in the morning, I don't feel so good." He said, "I spilled my coffee on me. How am I supposed to feel?" I stepped on my dog, and I don't even have a dog. He said, "He said I got in an argument about where were the parks this morning." Somebody's sitting where I want to sit. I'm tired, I'm grouchy, I'm grumpy. What kind of question is that? He said, is that a New Testament question? He said, what we ought to be asking is not how do you feel, but what do I know? Do I know my Savior? Do I know the God who parted the sea? Do I know the God who loves me so much as actually said they sent his son to die for me? Do I know about salvation? And that little video that I saw a while back led me to our lesson today as we think about the right question and the right answer. Lots of questions in life, lots of things we can pursue in life, but it's important to ask the right question and then find the right answer. So if you got your Bible, let's go over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, and we find a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus with a question. It begins in Matthew 19... And in verse 16, Matthew 19, verse 16, and behold, one came to him and said, Teacher, what good things should I do that I may attain eternal life? He said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good, but if you wish to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus answered, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, All these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. Right away we notice three things. First of all, he asked the right question. Can you imagine a face one-on-one with you and Jesus? I mean, what's the angels like, Jesus? I mean, you're up there with the angels. What's angels like? What do they look like? Jesus, since you've been to earth, what kind of feast do you like best? Jesus, tell me what a typical day in your life is like. All kinds of questions. Jesus, what's your favorite color? Jesus, do you like music? Jesus, who's your favorite friend? All the questions we could ask, but what he asked was the most important question. What do I have to do to be right with you? What do I have to do to have eternal life? We also notice that he asked the right person. He asked Jesus. He didn't ask his mother. He didn't didn't get on CNN or Fox News and say, let's see what the latest polls say about this question. He didn't go ask his best friend he grew up with. He asked Jesus. Jesus is the one who came to give life. Who better knows life than Jesus? And then he received the right answer. Jesus knew he had another God in his heart, and it wasn't Jehovah. His God was wealth. His God was stuff. And so Jesus tells him to sell all that he had. That was the right answer. And to follow me. What's interesting is that when you read Mark's account of this, Mark chapter 10, Mark tells us he ran to Jesus. And he bows down before Jesus. But when he hears this answer, it wasn't the answer he wanted to hear. And he walked away. Mark says his face fell. That's a weird phrase, isn't it? Man, your face fell what that means is I was so excited I was so happy I'm with Jesus and he's going to tell me what I need to do and when he tells them that's not the answer I want I don't want to do that and so he goes away sad this morning what we want to do we want to spend a very simple lesson with you and talk about what I believe is the most important question in your life more important than who you marry more important how to live longer how to retire well how to put health in your dog? I think the most important question is, what must I do to be saved? Three times that thought is found in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, brethren, what must we do? was asked. Saul Tarsus was told this in Acts chapter 9. Arise into the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. Then in Acts chapter 16, when we think about the jailer in Philippi, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And this morning what we want to do is we want to look at these four simple questions. What do you have to know to be saved? What do you have to believe to be saved? What do you have to do to be saved? And then what do you have to keep doing to stay saved? Simple questions. But questions I think we all ought to be able to answer, we need to know the, the right answer to these questions. So let's begin with question number one. What must I know? And the obvious answer is, well, you got to know the Bible. Well, the Bible's an old, old book. And the Bible's a very big book. In fact, there's over 783,000 words in the Bible. There's over 2,500 names in the Bible. There's over 1,200 specific places in the Bible. And then there's all this stuff, all these concepts, and every one of these could be a whole sermon. As we think about some of the heavy doctrines in the Bible, we talk about predestination or the Trinity or sanctification, and you look at that and you say, you know what, I never went to college, I can't do this. Or I went to college and I'm done with college, I don't want to go back, this is too hard for me. What do I have to know to be saved? It's interesting in Mark chapter 5, if you turn over there and look down at verse 19, that when there was a demon-possessed man that Jesus cast the demons out, he wanted to follow Jesus. And all Jesus told him to do was go home to your people and report to them what things the Lord has done for you. I doubt that man understood all those concepts we just had on there. I doubt he understood all those words, all those places, all those names, but he knew just enough to know. In the book of Matthew, in chapter 28, as Jesus talked about discipleship, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That follows discipleship. That follows the idea of being baptized. So there's some things that come with this. In Acts chapter 2, he says, those who received his word were baptized that day, and they were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. You'll get these things, but right away, what must I know? You must know the truth about yourself, and the truth is you have sinned. That's where we must begin. And so let's talk about the concept of sin. Sin is breaking the law of God. We know what breaking the law is. You're driving down the road, speed limit says 55. You look at your speedometer, you're going 75. Well, you're breaking the law, aren't you? You go into a store, now none of you folks do this, but you go into a store and you see something and you look this way and this way to see if there's any cameras and you put it in your pocket. That's called shoplifting. That's against the law. We know what it is to break the law. Breaking the law with God means God has said things and we simply didn't do that. 1 John 3, verse 4, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is acting as if there is no law. I am God. I get to do what I want to do. I can say what I want to say and do whatever I want to do. No, you're not God. And so what I need to know, first and foremost, is that I have sinned in the eyes of God. In the book of Matthew chapter 7, he says it this way. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And your name cast out demons. And your name performed many miracles. And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These were religious people. These were good people. But what Jesus is saying is, if you don't do what God says, you have sinned. And he tells it this way in the book of Matthew. Sin is a death that you cannot pay back. Matthew chapter 18. He says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to sell them, there was one slave who owed them ten thousand talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children, and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, I will repay you everything. Jesus here is showing us what sin is like. Take your Bible, if you will, turn with me to Matthew 20. And then we're going to come right back to this slide here. Matthew 20, another story. But it adds dimension to what we're adding here. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, verse 2. Matthew 20, verse 1, verse 2. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a dinner or dinneress for the day, he sent him into his vineyard. Verse 2, one dinneress is what you got when you worked all day long. That was a common wage. We may say, what's minimum wage here in America? What was minimum wage back then? It was to make a dinneress a day. Now, according to what we understand from Bible times, it took 600 denarii to make one talent. Go back to Matthew 18 now. This man owed 10,000 talents. 10,000, write this in your margin, 10,000 times 600. That comes out to be in 6 million denarii or the equivalent of six million days of work. Now imagine you just bought a house and the real estate agent and the financial people say, you know what? After six million days, this house is yours. Well, how long is six million days? If you work 365 days, you work every single day, no vacations, you never got sick. 365 days and to 6 million, it's 16,000 years. Now, what is sin? Sin is not spilling my milk, sin is not forgetting my mother's birthday. Sin is a violation of the law of God. And unless this is paid, you do not go to heaven. That's what sin is. So it's, so it's a serious thing. And so when we think about this concept this morning as what I need to know, I need to know what I've done. I can't blame the government. I can't blame the school I went to. I can't blame the church I attended. I can't blame my parents. I can't blame who I married. I, it's me. Who chose to disobey God? Who had the foot on the accelerator? I did. I am a sinner. And that's not a pleasant thing you want to write down on your, in your bulletin on Sunday morning. I am a sinner. We would rather write down, you're okay. We'd rather write down, you're doing great. Just keep doing that. But the reality, what you need to know, is that I have sinned. Romans chapter 3 says, all have sinned, have fallen short of the glory of God. Earlier it would say in Romans 10, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands not one of us gets out of this and that's what you have to know you have to realize each and every one of us from the smartest among us to those who are not so smart to those who have been around a long time to those who have been around a very short time to those who have a lot to those who don't have much at all all of us fit into that category and so you must know that you have sinned secondly what you got to know is that the truth is about jesus and Jesus is your Savior. Again, that's, that's a common thing the Bible teaches, and that's something you must know, that Jesus is your Savior. So we look at passages like Luke chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. Our brothers Silas, what about Allah? No. Buddha? Confucius? us? Ain't happening. It's Jesus. As I said, it's always been Jesus. It continues to be Jesus, and in the end, it will be Jesus. And so, I am a sinner, and Jesus is a Savior. John chapter 20 ends that great gospel by saying, There are many of the signs also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He would say in Luke chapter 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Well, I'm lost. You're lost. Why did Jesus come down here to save you? That's why he came. And so as we begin this concept, right questions, right answers. You must realize the truth about yourself. But then we need to know the truth about Jesus Christ and who he is. Secondly, as we look at our study, what must I believe? What must I believe? I must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that Son of God is the one who died for my sins. Again, we look at some simple passages in the book of John chapter 8. Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And as I said in John 3 verse 16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ is that. Now, let me give you a couple verses that's not on the screen here, but turn with me to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and let's look at verse 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Here the Bible says about Jesus Christ, He says, and He Himself is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the whole world. What's propitiation mean? I dare say you probably haven't used that word in the last three months. Propitiation means satisfaction. You go eat at somebody's house and they stuff you. And they bring out two more pies. I'm satisfied. No more can go in here. I am full. We have this debt. It's going to take 16,000 thousand years for you to work to pay this off so you can go to heaven jesus paid it jesus is a propitiation jesus takes care of that that's that concept of who jesus christ is while you got your bible back there in that part go with me to the book of first peter if you will first peter chapter one look at verse 19 first peter one verse 19 It says that we have been redeemed with precious blood as the blood of a lamb unblemished. The idea, again, that the blood of Jesus is going to walk every single one. Since all of us have sinned, we all need the same thing, and that's Jesus Christ. And when we talk about this question, what must I do to believe to be saved, the idea is faith is an action word. Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Abraham traveled. By faith, Joshua walked around the walls of Jericho. Faith does something. So for me to say I believe in Jesus means I'm going to do something. It's going to change my life. It's going to redeem me. Question number three we're going to look at real quickly, what must I do? And what's interesting is when we started this sermon back here in Acts We looked at all these questions. What must I do? They all understood that they had to do something. It's not all in God's department. God's not the one who sinned. I sinned. You sinned. So there's something that you have to do. Let's go through and notice how these questions were answered. When we think about what must I do to be saved, Acts chapter 2, notice what Peter said. Peter said to them, Repent, which means turn, change your direction. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. Look in Acts chapter 9 when that question was asked. When he says, Go to the city, and it will be told what you must do. Well, what was he told? Acts chapter 9, same place. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. That third question to the jailer in Acts 16. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Noah's house answered. He brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. He took him that very hour of the night, washed his wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. He believed and he was baptized we look at other passages acts 22 why do you delay get up and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the lord first peter 3 verse 21 corresponding to that baptism now saves you not the removal of dirt of the flesh but an appeal to god for a good conscience through the resurrection of jesus christ and then in revelation 1 verse 5 from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and washed us or released us from our sins by his blood. What do I have to do? i got to believe in Jesus. I have to repent. And I have to be baptized. Well, brother Shouse, I'm not going to do that baptism stuff. Well, then you're not going to go to heaven, are you? I'm not going to do that repentance stuff. Well, then you're not going to go to heaven, are you? This is how serious this is. We're looking for the right answers to the right questions. What must I do? And then finally, very simply, what must I keep doing? Because if you take off your, your, that foot off the accelerator going to heaven, you're not going to make it. And so what you must do is you must go, grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. And again, notice this concept we see in the New Testament, this idea of a changed life, a different life, a better life. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death. There's baptism again. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. It's not a matter of just getting baptized and going back to my own life. I've changed, I've rewired my thinking. I might drop some habits. I might drop some friends. I might drop some addictions. I've changed who I am. I am different because of Jesus. Now take your Bible and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. A little lengthy here, but let's read this. Colossians chapter 3. And again, what drives through this point here is this idea that once you are in Jesus, there's that changed life that comes about. Colossians 3 begins verse 5. He says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly bodies as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed which amounts to idolatry. To account of these things that the wrath of God will come, and in them you also walked, and you were living in them. You were sinners is what he's saying. That's you. That's me. Then he says, But you put them all aside, verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth... Do not lie to one another since you lay aside the old self with its evil practices. And have put on the new self which is being renewed to true knowledge according to the image of the one who was created him. There's again that old man, that new man. I'm different. So then verse 12. Those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Put on the heart of compassion. You can do that. Because God says you can. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ ruin your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What do I do? I need to keep worshiping with God. I need to be around God's people. I need to be around those who are going to heaven. I need to be around the people who's going to help me make the right decisions and the right choices. If I want to go to heaven, what do I have to keep doing to go to heaven? I've got to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Peter said it this way in 2 Peter 3 verse 18. Grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Four questions. What must you know? What must you believe? What must you do? And what you have to keep doing? Now there's a lot, a lot of more verses we could add to this this morning. But this is enough for you to see. And I hope you can see that this is the most important question. I dare say that when this life is over, and as the Bible teaches and we so believe, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, God's not going to say there was at least three or four times in your life your car was up to oil change and you didn't get it. That question, I dare say, will never be asked. God did not say, well, you know, the NFL draft's going on. Did you pay attention to that? God doesn't care about that. God doesn't care whether you put weed killer on your yard. You got dandelions. What were you thinking down there? He's not going to ask about that. He is going to ask, why are you saved or why are you not saved? I sent my son. I gave you my word. I put the most amazing people in your life to help you be what you ought to be. Why are you and why are you not? You know, there's a famous hymn we sing called Amazing Grace written by John Newton. And before John Newton died, that song was already famous. And he was interviewed over and over about that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Save the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And late in life, he, he said, you know, I'm just getting kind of forgetful in life. But he says, there's two things I will never forget. He said, John Newton is a great sinner, and Jesus Christ is a great Savior. I will never forget those two things. And this morning, I hope that this lesson can help us as we think about where you are. Among us are those we love so dear, but you've never answered these questions. Among us are those who are our children you're old enough among us are husbands and wives and you've heard enough sermons among us are those that we want to go to heaven we want you to be in heaven we love you so much but these are the questions you have to answer what do i know what do i believe what am i going to do and what am i going to keep doing the answer to those questions is all that really matters We can help you. If you're ready to be baptized, won't you come as we stand, as we sing this song?